Hello, welcome to Wellness Wednesdays and Rise Up with Orion. We are so excited to have everyone join us today because I will be the first to say that we have a celebrity with us today. Um, whether or not she wants to wants to agree to that. So as a quick introduction, and I will definitely pass it over to Joanne for her amazing story that she's going to share with us today. But Joanne is a lifelong athlete and wellness enthusiast. She was a competitive swimmer through college and took up the sports, sport of race walking in her late 20s. She made her first Olympic team in 2008 in the sport of track and field. On the educational side, she knows her stuff. She has a BS in business administration and a master's in kinesiology and sports psychology from the University of New Hampshire. She's coached cross country and track and field at the collegiate, collegiate level and is a certified K through 12 health teacher. Joanne currently lives in New Hampshire and she enjoys traveling the globe, which she will tell us about today. She is married and has two adult children, which I'm sure has affected so much of your life. Joanne, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here and be yes, able to share I love my you're story. sporting your USA Olympic apparel. I love yeah, I have it. a lot of that. <laughs> yes, and still, still living. I know I am just still going through withdrawals that the Olympics yeah. are over. I can imagine it probably brings back a lot of feelings for you as well. It does, you know, especially watching opening ceremonies and reliving that moment because I was lucky enough to actually walk in opening ceremonies. That was certainly one of the highlights of my experiences over there. Um, but yeah, watching it and, and seeing athletes compete. And for me, I think probably the highlight this year that actually brought tears to my eyes was watching Wally Seidel, who's the marathoner, win the bronze medal in just your third marathon. And I actually like, I teared up because I get it. You know, it's such a, it's such a long road. And, and so, yeah, like just sort of reliving that and, um, and yeah, just, just being part of, of watching it again, it brings back a lot of really great memories for sure. Definitely. Well, Joanne, tell us a little bit about your journey kind of to the Olympics and kind of how your whole career started to become, you know, who you are. Sure. Well, I, as you said, I was a, a swimmer. You know, I started off swimming when I was young. I come from an athletic family. My dad was a basketball player. He was actually the first man drafted from New Hampshire to the, to, to the NBA. Um, so there's some, you know, there's a genetic link there. My brothers are all, you know, tall men and basketball players as well. But for me, back when I was younger in the seventies, before, you know, title nine happened, there were not a lot of opportunities for girls to play on team sport. So I had two choices. I could be a gymnast or a swimmer if I wanted to be an athlete. So I went to swimming and I was pretty good at swimming because I think I was just a natural athlete. Um, I never really loved swimming, but I was good at it. So, um, so I spent my growing years, you know, as, as a swimmer through college. And then when I graduated college, I thought I would go into triathlons because the natural progression, right, from swimming to, um, to, to triathlons, I just thought that was something that I would do. I didn't. I ended up just kind of becoming that, that uh, fitness, like, guru. You know, I was like that group exercise person. And <clears throat> so I was at the health club where I worked out, and there was, like, this walking clinic coming up. And so the woman who was in charge of group fitness, she said, Joanne, I think you, you, why don't you try this? And it was really for fitness instructors, which I was not at the time. And so I was like, oh, sure, that's a great idea. I had walked through my pregnancies. I had little ones at the time. And I'm sure. So I did this fitness. It was, it was, a, um, it was like a walking workout for, you know, to teach people how to teach walking. And mm -hmm. so... We got the instruction, we went out, we were doing our walk and I was way ahead of everybody. And the woman that was leading the workshop, she was like, Joanne, you should really be teaching this. And I thought, I could do that. I love, you know, I, I love this, this is awesome. So, so I got certified, I started teaching these walking fitness classes and then I went and I found out about this like competitive fitness walk thing. And I was like, I wanna do that because I think I'm pretty fast. And so I went and I won the little fitness walking thing. And I actually, that's where I met with some race walkers. So there were race walkers that actually were at this event. And that's where I connected with my first coach as well. And so there was a man, you know, I always say race walking found me. 
but there was a man there who lived in Manchester, who lived in my hometown in New Hampshire, and we were down in Boston. And he said, sure, you know, I can help you out. So we started to get together in the mornings and he, and I knew how to race walk. Like I always knew that sort of form. Um, we used to call it like the duck walk. And so I could always do it, but I didn't realize it was actually like a sport. So I started going on walks with him in the morning and he turned to me probably, I don't even know, like six months after we kind of started to do this. And he, he turned to me and he said, you know, if you had started this earlier, you might have been, you might have been able to make the Olympic team. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. <laughs> that's all I needed to hear. And he became a good, he became a very good friend. Um, but I went and I did this race walking clinic and the guy who was there said, you know, I think if you really commit to this sport, you might be able to rate, you might be able to walk with the top women in this country. So my husband and I, this was in Niagara Falls, New York, we drove home that weekend and had, you know, whatever it was, 10 hours in the car. And I said, I really want to try to do this. And he turned to me and he said, if that's what you want to do, I'm behind you 100%. Because at the time, the kids were two and four. So I just knew that this was going to be something that um, was going to require a change, right? Because I knew I needed to do more. So I was already like getting fast. But if I really wanted to get to that next level, it was going to take a different level of commitment. So I started training with my coach and um, quickly got injured because I didn't really know what I was doing. I thought I, I thought more was better. You know, I hadn't quite figured out. I'd never been injured as a swimmer. I didn't quite understand that, you know, doing too much. Because I'd already, always been sort of, uh, you know, I'd always been coached by a coach that was with me. And my coach was not with me. He was kind of sending workouts to me. And I would do more than I was supposed to be doing. So I ended up injured. But I, I that was in 95. And then in 1996, I was well enough to go compete at the Olympic trials because I actually had qualified. So that was my first Olympic trials was in 96. I think I placed... I think I placed 10th. I don't even really remember, to be honest. Um, but I had the bug. I had the bug. So I, yeah, I just kind of, in those next four years, started to go to see my, my coach and work out with him and followed his advice a little bit more closely and got fast pretty quickly. And so then in, in um, 1998, I won my first national championship and it was on my husband's birthday. And we were on our way down to New Orleans where the race was. And I said, what do you want for your birthday, hon? And he said, I want you to win nationals. And I laughed. I said, how about a bathing suit instead? <laughs> so, so we, you know, so I actually won the national championship in New Orleans at five o'clock in the afternoon in 103 degree temperature. Um, I had done some heat acclimation training prior to that. So when 2000 rolled around for my next Olympic trials, I was really one of the favorites going in because I had had, you know, I had had some great success. I had won national championships indoors and outdoors. And in spring of, um, actually it was like late winter of 2000, I ended up with a knee injury and that was really my first, I mean, I had, I had had the, the, you know, a, an injury before the Olympic trials in 96, but I wasn't really there yet. And now I was one of the favorites and I had something going on with my knee. So I saw a surgeon, they ended up doing, you know, a, a scope and I was able to come back. I placed fourth at the Olympic trials. So if anybody knows anything about the Olympics, generally it's the top three that go. Okay. But track and field is a little bit different. Swimming can, I think swimming might be this way too, but there are standards that the country set. So like, there's a certain time you actually have to have, for us, it was walked or run or you know a mark that you had to have made in track and field to actually qualify to make the Olympic team. So I had made that time um, and so had several other women. And so I, um, I placed fourth and as I was leaving, I got a phone call from one of the people who was um, sort of one of the higher ups in, in track and field. And he said, Joanne, keep training. Because the woman who had placed third 
was a citizen of China. So they allowed her, she was waiting for her citizenship for the US. She had applied for US citizenship, but she was still a Chinese citizen. She had actually won a gold medal for China in 96. Okay, so she was, she was the world champion in 96 and she placed third for the US. But there was a chance her citizenship wasn't gonna go through and I would make the team, I was the alternate. So I kept training, kept training. Um, one morning I opened the Boston Globe, the newspaper, and there it was in the newspaper, the US had pushed through her citizenship and she was going. So I didn't make the Olympic team. <laughs> so I lost out to someone who, yeah, who was, you know, who was able to compete as a non-US citizen and then her citizenship got pushed through. So, you know, that, that was my story for 2000. 2004, if we jump ahead again, there were more national championships. I switched coaches at this point. So I was working with somebody new um, because after 2000, there had to be a reset and sort of the mantra in my house with my family, because now my children are getting older, go through 2000 and it, the mantra was four more years mom four more years you can do it four more years so four more years i did it so 2004 comes rolling around and again i have you know i'm the number one uh, woman in the US. Uh, uh, i'm number one in the u.s going into um into 2004 and i have um I'm coaching my daughter's track team and it's April, May of that spring. And I am doubled over in pain and I don't know what's going on. So I'm like two for two. So 2000, it was knee surgery and now I got something going on. I don't even know what's going on. I end up in the emergency room that night and I had a fibroid in my uterus that was growing. So this is now I'm talking, it's May, two months away from Olympic trials. So I was not well, I was not feeling well at all, but I just, I kind of pushed through because in waves I would feel like it was almost like hormonal. Like there were times I would feel okay. And there were, I, when I, I needed a hysterectomy is what ended up happening, but I put it off. I said, I'm going to go through, I've got to make this team. This is my time. I was 40 years old at the time. I'm like, I'm going to make this team. I've been working 10 years for this. So Olympic trials comes, I placed second. So one would think, okay, great. You've made the team. I didn't make the team because the woman who placed in front of me hadn't made that standard, hadn't made that time. I was the only one in the country who had made the time that year. And if you didn't make the time, if you won Olympic trials, you could go. So she went instead of me. So I didn't make the Olympic team. So it was like the rules again, which they now have changed. We used to call it the Joanne Dow rule because there were very few people that were ever affected by this rule. Um, because in most sports, it's the top three that would go for Olympic trials. So yeah, another setback. And at that point, you know, now it's 2004 and I just don't even know if I can, um, if I can go on four more years because it's this whole mental piece, right? That has to be part of the training. It has to be part of this commitment. I felt like in a lot of ways I was putting my life on hold from doing anything else that I wanted to do because training was my full-time job, right? I was raising my kids, which was great, but I also felt like I had more inside of me, more that I could do besides just race walking. So I really needed a reset and that's where my coach was amazing. And we kind of just took it one year at a time. And, and so just kind of picking myself back up again, taking a break, taking a reset. And there was a lot of focus this year at the Olympics on, you know, mental health, which rightfully so, because I think a lot of people don't really realize not just the pressure. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes from external sources, but we as athletes put so much pressure on ourselves, right? It's this constant being able to perform when you need to perform, you know, getting out there every single day and doing a workout when you don't feel like doing a workout and that constant commitment that you have to make every single day, both physically and mentally. And I think now it's really, you know, it's, it's even harder in an age of social media, especially for these young athletes that 
have all this external pressure too, on top of the internal pressure that they constantly put on themselves. So after a reset and the four more years again with the family <laughs> and another injury, another setback in 2007 that took me out of competition, which was okay. It ended up being okay because it was almost like the break that I needed leading into 2008. 2008, once again, I was the only person that had that time standard and I won the championship, the Olympic trials. So I, I went and I went as the only female that represented the United States that year. So it was 17 years of work. It was 17 years of, um, you know, commitment from my family. It was, it really does take a team, you know, when they say it takes a village, um, it really does. And I love when I see athletes that thank all the people that got them there, because it's not just about the person that puts the shoes on or puts the bathing suit on or whatever it happens to be, right? It's, it's about the team that gets them there. And these people that oftentimes are so selfless and so behind the scenes that we could never, ever, you know, get to that point for me. A lot of it was family, you know, it was my husband and my kids and their undying support, but also my siblings and my mom and my dad and, um, you know, the sacrifices that they made too, like take care of the kids when I had to go out to the Olympic training center and train for two weeks. And especially when I was recovering from an injury and I had the opportunity to go out to San Diego and, and spend time at the Olympic training center and, um, you know, and my husband with his job and trying to balance all of that. and. So yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it was certainly a commitment. It was a great, um, it was a great job <laughs> to have yeah. while I was raising, while I was raising my children. Um, but yeah, so it just, it, it, for everybody, everyone has a story. Anyone that makes it to that point has a story, right? Cause it's not like, I always love to, to say to my students when, you know, in teaching and coaching, right? Success is not this, this line, right? It's not this straight up. It's this very, you know, up and down and setbacks. And, and we come back, I feel like from our setbacks stronger and wiser, and we learn something if we take the time to learn, right? Okay, so what can I do better? So right. I think that sets the, you know, I set, that sort of sets the stage for success in life. Sport can do that. Yeah, no question. One of the things that I'm thinking about as well is, you know, obviously the Olympics is, got canceled in 2020. So again, I think of a lot about your story and how it's, you know, similar to kind of what those athletes were feeling last year when they were at their peak and all of a sudden it was canceled. So again, talk about, you know, bouncing back and those trials that you have to overcome as an athlete. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. It's Devastating. Devastating. You know, and I, and, and I think about, you know, the marathoners that ran, right, and they had already qualified. Like some of, some of the Olympic trials hadn't even happened at that point. But people getting to sort of the peak of their career and knowing they were ready and they were ready to make that team. And, and then maybe it didn't happen for them this year too, right? But then other people filled those, you know, that needed that extra time or, or came off an injury. And, and, you know, everything happens in its time, right? And, and I've often been asked, you know, well, how did it feel making the team after not making it three times around? And there was such great, um, just a sense of accomplishment, right? Because it had built for so long. Would I have appreciated it if I had done it, you know, six years into the game? Probably not. Right. And I think that one of the best things was um, my children at the time were 16 and 18. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, they were, they, they could get, they understood it. They were, they would not have understood that if they were, you know, four and six or six and eight, not in the way that they did when they were 16 and 18. I mean, we literally got home from China and we drove my daughter to college after we like went and visited the great wall, you know, yeah. her freshman year in college, you know, and, and, so having them be able to experience that as teenagers was, was, you know, the reason everyone kept saying, oh, you know, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, it does. It does. But that was probably the most gratifying thing was, was just knowing that they got it in a different way than they ever would have, even if they were four years younger. So, mm -hmm. so that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
and those closest to you can be there to support. And I think that's really what's unique about your story too, is you're not, you know, 16, you know, like you see so many of the athletes that are out there where again, they're just trying to figure out what being an adult is, you know, right. so again, the different things that you were juggling, but again, you know, I've got young kids right now and I know they would never, you know, appreciate it and know what that meant. So that is so special that your family was there a in person yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. kind of that mental emotional support. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I was in the, you know, I was in the athletes village and they were staying obviously off site, but just knowing they were there. And again, like watching this year, and that was the thing that broke my heart. I think that's what made me the most sad about this this year was it was amazing to see what, what Tokyo was able to pull off, right? They were able to get this together still in a, in a pandemic, but they made it happen and they did it safely. But nobody can their family there and watching all these, you know, all, everybody watching from home and, and how special that was for the athletes. But I can't even have imagined not having my husband. My mom was able to travel over. She was 71 at the time. She was there and the two kids were there and not having them be part of that. I just, it would not have been the same because like I said before, it's like you have this team, right? You have this team of people that get you there. And you want them to be part of the pinnacle. Yes. You yeah. know, question. It, yeah. It's so true. Yeah. And I thought about that a lot too with the empty stadiums too, no matter what competition you're in. I think, you know, the fans and the audience and the energy that surrounded that, I can only imagine as an athlete, that probably adds to the experience. So tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, even from, you know, my own perspective, like, on the race walking course this year and on the marathon course, people were there, you know, so they actually had some people kind of cheering them along the way, which is so important, right? You do, you get the energy. But I think of like when we went, when we were in China, we were able to go watch team handball. It was deafening. It was deafening in that, you know, in there, in that, I don't even know what they call it, you know, where they had the, the competition. It was so loud, but yeah, you know that those those athletes are are gaining right, and they're and they're soaking in that energy from the crowd, and to to just be able to go out there and and perform without that, it's you know, hats off to them. I mean, a lot of it you do block out, of course, right? I mean, a lot of it you're not even hearing in the moment when you're competing. But certainly beforehand, like looking into the stands and just seeing the stadium full or coming into the stadium, which is the picture you have of me there in the pouring rain, but just knowing there are people there that are clapping and cheering you on, you know, it's, yeah, it's all part of the, the beauty of sport. For yeah, sure. definitely. yeah. For those that are on the webinar live and watching recorded, I would love to show your pictures. For those that are listening to the podcast, I will post it in the show notes as well, so you can kind of see these amazing photos and kind of, you know, join the journey with Joanne. So, do you want to talk us through some of these sure. different amazing photos sure. we've got? So this is this was um, Olympic trials. So that was the race that got me to the Olympic Games and. Yeah, that was out in Eugene, Oregon, and that was on um, the medal stand. So that was me saying, wow. This is the Olympic torch. So this was during opening ceremonies. So we all, you know, file in and again, watching, watching opening ceremonies this year and like sort of reliving that again and talk about energy and that's in in the stadium you know the olympic stadium where the torch was for opening ceremonies um that was the, the i can't even like i guess i'm without words right just the energy and the um being part of that and watching this year and having nobody there and having probably half the athletes walk in understandably because they couldn't but that for me like I said was one of the highlights of my experience was really opening ceremonies and I was walking in with um I think there's some other pictures too but I was walking in with one of my fellow race walkers um and he turned to me and he said are you ready for this and I just started crying <laughs> you know as we're getting ready to walk into the stadium that night so this is outside of um the athletes village 
and the, the slide before was just one of the um, one of the chairs in the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, so that was one of our one of the chairs. I just thought that was cool. And that's right outside of um, Athletes Village. This is actually in Athletes Village. So if you look closely, um, I don't know if you can see. So on on the left there is Kara Goucher, right in um, the left panel on or the left part of that screen. It's like a side view of her and. There are some other track athletes there. And, you know, as, as part of our team, we have coaches that are assigned. Like, so I had a, I had a female distance coach that was assigned to us that helped us um, while we were actually in Beijing. My own personal coach didn't make the trip, um, yeah. you know, halfway around the world. So, but I did, I was able to talk to, to, talk to him and connect with him and, um, if I could do a redo, I think I would have tried to really try to get him there because again, he was one of the main reasons that I actually even made it that far. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you, did that leave a void at all for you, you know, during the competition, the things that were actually happening, was there a void at all, or were you able to overcome not having your coach there? I think having my family there, you know, and my husband, because he was by my side through so much of it, he really learned a lot about the sport. Uh, my kids did too. You know, so having them on the course and able to sort of coach me and be able to say some of the things that, you know, maybe my coach would have said to me. Um, he was at, my coach was at Olympic trials. And so that was, um, that was important. That, that was, that made a huge difference. And I was glad he was able to be there to see me actually qualify, you know, for the team, if not be able to be in China. The logistics of having your family and your coach come is challenging. You know, you're in a different country. People have booked these rooms years in advance. And I found out I made the team a month before we're to go. Wow. So where do you stay? And it's not like, you know, it's not like the U.S. goes, okay, we have, you know, we have this block of hotel rooms for all of your family. That's not how it works. Like you're kind of on your own. And so, um, so just getting my, my husband, my kids and my mom there was like, that was challenging enough. So it, it was, it, it was, it was a void for sure. Um, but it was what worked out practically, I guess, mm -hmm. in the end. Sure. Yeah. So there's opening ceremony. I mean, look at the stands. <laughs> just packed. I know, right? I think so many of us now are just like, yeah, you know, what would that be like today? So, oh my gosh, how magical. Right, I know. Nobody with a mask on or anything, <laughs> even in Asia. <laughs> We've been brainwashed, I think. I mean, unbelievable. So yeah, nice. right there too. You know, so this is this is all the U.S. athletes walking in. Um, you know, Ralph Lauren was our sponsor for our opening cer ceremonies outfit and for um, closing ceremonies as well. They gave, you know, they they market work with certain companies so nike is usa track and fields contract so all of the clothes that i got and had to wear for the competition were nike um but all of our sort of clothes for hanging around like athletes village um they were either nike or they were usa track and field and you could not wear anything else well, and so, that's why you have so many amazing clothes that you can I do. Yeah, I even have some. I mean, I, I literally brought broke broke this out of the plastic um, just this past spring to wear to school for something something else. And I was like, oh, I think I still have a shirt somewhere because I had a lot of it put away. I'm like, I think I still have a shirt I could access, and I pulled it out of the plastic. And yeah, so brand spanking new. Look Pretty at that. Much, that's time worn. Uh huh. <laughs> Exactly. So again, yeah, just opening ceremonies, you know, and, and I think the thing that was like one of the comments about China up to that point, there was nothing like this, like in terms of what they were able to put on. I mean, how long they practiced for and how many people were involved in it. It was amazing. It was amazing. Right. Well, then I think all the infrastructure, too, that they have to put in place. I mean, here's a prime example, um, right. you know, you right. have to do to prepare for that. Exactly. So this is, yeah, this was inside, they called it the bird's nest because it kind of looked like a bird's nest from the outside. Um, but this is inside, which is what this, the stadium looked like when I came back in, you know, people were there. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, and like I said, that energy, I mean, you can even feel it, you know, it's just yeah. unbelievable. Right. And that's during the race. So 
China, like Tokyo, we were predicted to have sweltering heat. Oh. So I did all my heat acclimation training again. I had this really great routine that I did at the health club that I worked at where I would go out and I would do my, my normal training. And then they, they let me bring my Nordic track, you know, ski machine into the pool area. Oh, so, right. you know, so it was like 80 something degrees with, I don't even know, like 80 something, you know, percent humidity. And so right. I, I would go in and I would train on that fully clothed. So I would have like a sweatshirt, sweatpants, you know, my running stuff or training clothes underneath. And I would go and I would do like another 45 minutes to get my body used to the heat. And then I would go and stretch in the sauna afterwards with all of my clothes on. So oh, I was ready for the heat in China. And race day, it was monsoon rain. It was like, oh my gosh, you can't predict it. Talk about trials. There's another trial of your, your journey. We stepped on the track. My feet were already soaked. If you've ever stepped in a puddle with running shoes on, that's what it was like. And my race distance is 20K, right? So for 12.4 miles, I walked in soggy shoes. So I had terrible blisters afterwards. But you Lost just it around. Oh, man. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> yep. The rain, I just, I can't even believe it. I cannot even believe it. I know, you know, there was rain on the on the track this year as well, but I just, I yeah. can't imagine being an athlete just going, okay, well, this is what it is. Let's just right. put on a seat and do it. And I think how I always just sort of rationalized it was that it's the same for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. We're all out here in the same condition. So whether it's the heat, the cold, the rain, or whatever it happens to be, it's one of those things as an athlete that you really have to let go of right? Instead, of, you can't stress about it. I think early on, I did stress about it. But then also, you know, you, you do the things that you can do, right? Control, you can control. So I could control as much as I could training in the heat. Right. I would train no matter what the weather was. I think that was one, almost one of the benefits of living in New Hampshire is that I really, you get kind of hardy, like H-A-R-D-Y, right? You have to be hardy to, to train in New Hampshire, to train in the Northeast in all weather and go out and do a workout whether it's, you know, 20 degrees out, whether it's 95 degrees and 80% humidity, we get it all in New Hampshire and we get rain. Like I would go out and train in the rain. It's a drag. My shoes get wet. Okay. I got to wear the backup shoes. Um, but you just do it, you know, because you know that you have no control over that and you got to get used to it. So. Right. Well, and that's an amazing lesson for everyone who's listening today as well is, you know, you control the controllables, right? And this is not one of those. So I think, you know, that's an amazing kind of lesson that you're, that you're providing us today. And, it's a life lesson, right? It's, it's, things are always going to be thrown at you that you can't avoid, right? So how do I best face them? How do I best just kind of take them, you know, head on? And yeah, that's, finish that is the finish right there so that's me coming into those numbers right there in the far where that person in the white on the left is that is the finish line so yeah wow. so and, and you know like I was never I was not normally a person that would wear what we called the bun huggers and the bra top to race in but when sure. we saw the weather, I was like okay so what do I have I guess I'm throwing the shorts and the singlet aside to wear what's going to resemble most a bathing suit <laughs> Mm -hmm. Exactly. If you're going to be wet the whole time, you might as well. Might as well wear the bathing suit and not have chafing. So that was <laughs> was that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just in the whole entire race, too. I yes. Yes. The Olympic team. That is the track and field team. So I am down on the right and sort of in the middle kneeling. Yes, to my right. blonde hair. You can't, you can't miss you there. That's the blonde hair. So you can always the way to find me. Um, yes. the, I was actually in that. I, I'm the oldest. I was the oldest athlete on the track team. And I was the oldest athlete in my race. I was 44 when I made the team. And I loved, I loved hearing this year too, too about some of the women and some of the men that made the team and that were in their forties. I'm like, I was there, I was 44. That happened 13 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how did it make you feel when you were there? Did you think about it or were you, you know, you were just like everybody else, you made it and you were there, you were at your peak. Did it, did it affect you at all mentally or emotionally? I, I don't think, I mean, I always, um, 
it's a little it's a little weird you know you're you're around um athletes like i was actually in my room we were i had a roommate that i shared the bedroom with but we were in a suite so there were six other athletes in our suite so it was a suite of eight we shared a living space kitchen um the two of us had our own bathroom but i was we were living with field hockey players and they oh, were young men. Yeah. So it was really cool, though, to be in a room with another sport, right? And to like sort of celebrate their successes. And and um, so, yeah, sometimes I did feel old, you know, because they were, you know, not that much older than my own kids, right? I mean, the woman next to me in this picture to my left, to the right of the picture, she was the youngest on the team. And I think she was 19, which was like oh. for me, oh my gosh, you're practically my daughter's age, right? So, um, you know, the distance athletes tend to be a little older. So I, I, you know, hung most, most with them, but, you know, it, age is irre irrelevant. I think at that point, um, the woman who won the race walk was I think 23, um, right. Russian, uh, young and, you know, some of these countries, and we now know this about Russia with with the doping, you know, and the doping scandals that have, have happened, like a lot of these women would, they'd show up for one race and then they would be done, you know, and, um, or, you know, one year maybe, and, and then they'd be in and out. And so, yeah, I mean, I was, I, I used to always joke and say, I'm the oldest, fastest person in the world. <laughs> yeah, you are, good for you. <laughs> All the more experienced. Yes. So that's that's the Olympic Stadium from the outside. That that was the bird's nest. And our shoes, I wish I had a picture of our shoes, but our shoes, we had, you know, our um our opening ceremonies outfit, our closing ceremonies outfit. And then you actually have like if you make the podium, your podium, you know, outfit. You can see that too, like um, that everyone's wearing the same thing, right? If they make it to the podium. And we had shoes, like all the way down to the shoes. And so wow. the shoes were the shoes were modeled. They were a Nike shoe and they were modeled after the bird's nest. So they kind of had that like crisscrossy thing going on with the red underneath, which is pretty cool. I still have them. Well, and as a you know, as a spectator, a fan, if you will, we don't even think about those things. You know, all it's micro calculated right down to probably the shoelace, you know, yeah, for athletes. Yeah. Well, and even this year too, at, in Tokyo, they had a podium mask that they had to wear. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure some people noticed that because they were really funny looking. <laughs> yeah, they they were um, very different for sure. Kind of modern. Yeah. So that was, that's my husband, of course, next to me. And then my daughter and my son, um, again, 16 and 18 at the time, but that was us. I think that was... That was actually, I think we had gone over to see the, um, like part of the men's race. So I think that was before I had actually raced. And around my neck is um, my credentials, right? So you have to have all of that on all of the time to get anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. Picture on, you know, everything is really uh, secure for sure. Right. And probably even more so now, but um, yeah, I felt very safe, very protected. Um, you know, people often ask that question too, like, did you feel safe? We're so well taken care of, you know, as athletes. Um, right. And I never felt anything but safe and fine, even for my family. Yeah. Right. Well, and you're not flying under the radar either, you know, going to be a no. spectator for a race when you have that on. So it probably goes back to kind of you're always on stage. And I think a lot of the athletes talked about that this year is you're always on. In and out of competition, you're always on yes. and you're always being identified. Absolutely. And I think even harder now, right? I mean, when we were, when I made the team, they asked us all to have social media accounts. And I think it was more like, might have been like Twitter, Facebook, but they wanted us to have that so that we could stay in contact. And now I think 13 years ago, I'm an adult. I'm a coach, a high school coach. I have teenage kids. I didn't want anything to do with social media. And I said, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get onto social media. Sorry, that's not my, that's not what I do. But what right. I did do was my local newspaper asked me to daily blog. And so I wrote a blog every day 
and sent it to the newspaper and they would publish it the next day. So I had this diary when I was there for like two weeks and we saved it all. And I can't, I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, 13 years later, I still very often will have people say to me, I read that blog every day, you know, because it was oh. really an inside sort of perspective as to what was going on, you know, and, and what was happening inside the village and what, how I was feeling. And so it was really cool to share that with my community that had been so supportive for so long that had seen me, you know, I won't say fail, but had seen the setbacks for sure, had seen some of the glory in between the setbacks. And so to be able to share that with my community was really special too. And then all the people actually read it. <laughs> yes, oh my gosh, well, like I said, it was worth all the effort to do it because I'm sure that was just another thing that was probably on the back of your mind is, oh, I need to, I need to do my journal or whatever it might be. I Right. Well, and it's now, and I have it now, right? So it's it's not like I've looked back at it because I really don't try to live in the past, but I have it and it's there for, you know, maybe generations to come or, or whoever wants to read it at some point. But yeah, it's there. I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't have done it if they hadn't asked me to do it. Sure. Yes. You know. It was a promise to someone else. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> So that's the aquatic center that was, I didn't actually, I wasn't able to go into the aquatic center, but, um, oh, I take that back. We went into the aquatic center. That was one of the places that we were actually housed before um, opening ceremonies. So they put us in different places because we had to wait. You know, the United States of America is the end of the alphabet. Mm -hmm. So we were the last teams to enter. So we waited hours to go into a little bit to opening ceremonies by the time they get us all lined up and, Mm -hmm. um, so I did get to see the inside of it, but that's the, yeah, that, that's the exterior view. Interesting. Oh my gosh. And of course you had to go here. Of course, there we are, me and my son side by side there walking down. But that was like the one thing that I did, you know, I, I mean, I traveled the globe, like you said earlier, you know, at the beginning, I, in all of my years of racing world, I did some world championships, which is the equivalent of the Olympics, except for on, you know, the odd years. So I competed at, you know, at some of the world championships and, and some other race walking, you know, world championships and um, high level races. So I get to do a, quite a lot of traveling and the kids and my husband get, get to do a lot of that with me as well. But when I would go, you know, people would say, well, did you get to stay? And did you get to do the tourist thing? I'm like, no, I had to get home. My family's waiting for me at home. Or no, you know, my my family, my my sister and her husband are watching the kids. We need to get back. So I didn't have the luxury, right, of being able to hang out for another week and, and do the tourist thing um, very often. So, but I could not be in China and not see the Great Wall. So we did take the time. It was the day after my race. And then that night, we got on the plane to fly home. But I had to see it. Wow. Yeah, of course. I mean, you're going all the way around the world, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So one of our little one of the things that we did when we came back as a team, like some of the New England Olympians, they asked us to come down to the Red Sox game and throw out the first pitch. So we kind of all just got to stand on the field and um, and one of the athletes threw the first pitch, but we get to be there and be part of that. <laughs> Again, my son was a big baseball player, so he really appreciated that. Yes. He gets to be the family and be there right in the front and, and see it all. And so, yeah, there were some great perks for sure. Yes. Well, I see you are a celebrity. It's a celebrity status. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. In my own mind, maybe. Yeah, exactly. So just a couple questions, Joanne. I love your story. And obviously, there's so much that we can take away from this as a listener in our lives and, you know, beyond. But I would love to know, you know, from the different coaches that you've had within your, your life, life experience, what's the best advice one of your coaches had, had given you, whether it be in life or as an athlete? So I think the thing that I, I remember because it resonated so much with me was actually when I was at the Olympics and I was talking to my coach on the phone and it was really hard to connect, right? Obviously, but they did have a way that we could call and I was able to like finally connect with him. And he said, just really savor this moment, right? And what this is right now is this is the cherry on top. 
right? Mm -hmm. That's all it is. You've already got the Sunday. This is real, just really the cherry on top and you've done it, like you're there. And that was it for me, right? It was not about, um, you know, not thinking I was gonna meddle. I used to laugh when people would say that to me. I'm like, you don't get it. I'm like, I'm 44 years old. Like I made the team. <laughs> like this is why yes. I'm, this is, you know, this is, this is, um, this, it truly was, it was the cherry on top. And I, that's, that's how I felt. And I, so I had no expectations kind of going into that race. Of course I wanted to have a good race. And I had a great race despite the rain. Like I had one of my best times, probably. I had my best time internationally in the pouring rain. So, and it probably could have been a PR, could have been my best time ever had the, you know, we, we not been racing in monsoon, but that's just, that's how it goes. I think one of the things that I really learned from my coach though, one of the most important things I learned over the years from him was perspective. And, mm. so, and being able to step back and step out of things and look at things um, for what they are, right? And and there was a, another situation, a world championship, and it was in Helsinki, Helsinki, Finland. And like another just stupid rule that happened to me, I was supposed to go, we were leaving the next day. Um, and I got a call from somebody who was already over in Helsinki and they were like, really sorry, Joanne, you can't come. We didn't have the correct judges on the course when you qualified to come, so you can't come. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. Really? And so my, you know, so my son, who was younger at the time, he was probably, I don't even know, like 13, 12, 13 at the time. And he was devastated. He's like, Mom, this is like the worst. You have the worst. This is the worst thing. This is the awful worst. And I said, I said to him, I'm like, Timmy, if this is the worst thing that you know can happen this uh -huh. is the worst thing we are pretty blessed like this is a pretty blessed life if this is the worst you know so mm -hmm. so perspective i think was probably the thing that i really learned from him was just stepping outside of of all of the all the noise and really looking at things for and, and always trying to find that sort of that positive that you know the the gem sort of hidden and everything else Right. We can take that into all of our lives. So I do, as kind of my last question to you, um, is I want to drill a little bit further into kind of the mental, emotional struggles that were really in a spotlight this, this year. Um, yes. And as an athlete, kind of what mental tools you had in your back pocket to handle that? I mean, A, waking up to the rain, and then you're on the starting line. What are the mental tools that you kind of pulled out of your back pocket to keep you focused and balanced while you were there? Visualization really helped me. You know, I, I did work, I, I felt like I was pretty mentally, you know, on on when I needed to be. And and I think for me, it was the balance in my life. So I had my husband, I had my kids, I had my family, I had my church, I had my job, you know, I was coaching. I, I had a very full life. And so I never felt like this was all I had. So that perspective, I think, really kind of kept me grounded in everything that I did, whether it was sport, but in my sport, you know, I did, I did a couple of times work with a sports psychologist when I was out at the Olympic training center. And what really helped me was, he, you know, we went through that, a, a guided visualization and watching, you know, the race sort of unfold and being able to see what those obstacles might be. Right. And then also being able to see what, what is it, what does it look like when you are in the race? How are you feeling? And sort of, you know, going through that. And, and I did spend time before races visualizing. And so I think that became a really great tool for me. And it's also something that I shared with my athletes when I was coaching, especially when I was coaching my college kids and I was teaching yoga at the time. And so I would do some yoga with them and I would always end with like that final relaxation, but spend time in visualization with them. And I had so many athletes come back to me and say, you know, Mrs. Dow or Coach Dow, I saw myself coming across the finish line, like really satisfied, just like, just like you had, you know, like helped us to see, mm. you know, and so learning that, you know, being taught that and then being able to teach it. I think that was probably one of the things that, that really helped sort of my mental game, as you will, or help keep me um, grounded. Yeah. Yeah. And to continue to foster those for a lifetime as well. And so many of the, the different lessons and advice that you're 
able to provide to us today, it's not something that you can just pick up tomorrow. It sounds like it's been a lifelong practice for you and you're probably even practicing it today, not being, you know, a current competing Olympian. Right. I do. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously as an athlete, you take a lot of, of those sort of, you know, traits that get you to that point, right. That carry you through life. And, you know, probably one of the, one of the things that I want, one of the ways I've always sort of identified is as a goal setter. I've always been a goal setter from the time I was very, very little. And, and that just resonates, continually resonates with me throughout my life. And it's one of the things I find really important as a, you know, as a high school teacher is to teach kids how to goal set. I think it's so important. And I always feel like we can be better. We can always be better, right? And, and setting those really tangible, sometimes small goals and, and how that makes you feel and the success that um, can come from that. I think that's probably one of the greatest gifts that I've received in, in sport. And, and one of the things that I have probably shared the most <laughs> from my experience as well. Yes, well, layer on perspective, layer on your support network you had, you know, and the visualization, I think you kind of have it all dialed down. So Joanne, I want to say thank you so much for myself, uh, for sharing your story with us today and all of our participants across the country that are able to hear your story and probably gather those lessons that I know I've put into my pocket to use later. So I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Tara. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of our listeners. Have a fantastic day. And we will see you next month for another um, conversation about mental and intellectual well-being. So we hope you all can join us then. Thanks so much. Have a great day.